Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the main body at all. I'm host Wenza Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's good to have you back and glad to know that you're 100% better. Yes, man. I am back. I missed the podcast last week and the office the week before that. So, Wellington has been holding it down like always, but I'm always really glad to be back. I mean, who else is going to hold it down, Wellington, besides you, so... I'm wondering who. I'm wondering who is it going to be. I don't know, man. I don't know. Special guest. I don't know. Special guest. I thought I was going to come back and lose my job, man. I don't know. Maybe Serge has your job. <laughs> hey, Serge did a great job. Listen to that podcast. Serge always does a great job. Yeah, man. He, he, he's, he's always phenomenal. But uh, we have a lot of topics to get into today, as usual. We're going to do um, a, a few playoff topics, um, a couple of album reviews. In the second half, we're going to do a review of The Fugitive. Um, to start off with, just um, even before we get into what the Suns were able to do get, to get to the Western Conference Finals, there was news yesterday of um, Chris Paul testing positive for COVID and um, him, him being out indefinitely. Um, also, Kawhi, like the Clippers fearing that he tore his ACL um, uh, for later in that game four against Utah. And um, with both of these like absences, obviously like the Clippers, they were ha- able to have a big win last night. Um, and just an exceptional Paul George performance that we're going to get into later. And then the Suns, they're able to get to the Western Conference Finals um, in the first time since 2010. Which team, if, if both of these stars are out for a long time, do you think it uh, it may affect uh, more as these teams are going forward? I think both teams are in good hands. We saw what playoff P quotations around that may not be quotations anymore, but what the game yeah. we saw last night. May have to remove them. <laughs> and you might have to, but I think both teams are in uh, great situations where they have other players that can step up. You look at Devin Booker, you look at Aton. Um, it's a, it's a, a lot of other guys on that basketball team. And you look at the Clippers, uh, I've never – well, I finally saw Patrick Beverly be Patrick Beverly. I think he hit a, a, a stump or something. Of, I don't know what he – last year he wasn't Patrick Beverly. He wasn't mm-hmm. the once, you know. Uh, first team all defense. Now last night he had like three or four steals. He was uh, every like yeah. So the, I, I think both teams are a good situation. I do think the Suns are a better situation now. They can completely game plan and change their game plan if they will. Now that CP3 is out, now they they have enough time since they sweeped uh, a team for it out. So I think they have the, the more time to kind of settle down and try to figure out what they're going to do on the front court and back court, but. I think both teams are in a good situation, but Suns are in a better situation, obviously, because they swept the team. Now they have more time to figure things out. Yeah, uh, they have a lot more time to rest. And, you know, after their seven-point win against Denver, um, you know, and also Chris Paul having 37 points and Devin Booker having 34, it was the type of game where it was possible for Denver to make a late run. Jokic, he gets ejected um, in the kind of for a flagrant foul in the third quarter. And even Booker afterwards credited Paul and his veteran leadership for transforming the Suns from an up-and-coming team in the bubble last year to being a championship contender this summer. Um, Just, like, in terms – because we even said this, I think, like, when the playoffs were just starting, that we felt as though, like, this this Phoenix team had the potential to get to a finals. But in terms of just, like, how Chris Paul's been able to elevate this team and just, like, the amazing run that they've had, like, like on a scale of – I mean – not even on, on a scale, but just like how how impressive has it been for you to kind of see like a, a team that we've always felt as though with Devin Booker, they were kind of stuck, but you got you have a guy like Chris Paul now and they're just taking it up to a different level. And this is a team that really, 
you know, does have a legit shot right. to, to get to a finals and, and, you know, kind of, you know, break a mold that was that was once there. It was always missing something. Even when they got Devin Booker, even when they got uh, uh, DeAndre Aiden uh, mm-hmm. well, two, three years ago, they were always missing something. Even when they had back in the day, Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, they was always missing a missing piece. They was missing a field general, a facilitator. Now, don't take anything away from Steve Nash, but they got they have they 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 got Jay Crowder last year. I mean this year, uh, Aiden has stepped up big time. Devin Booker has just honed in into his craft. He's just all around great basketball player now. The kid just needed someone who was able to let him get to his spots on the court. CP3 does that. And I always I always apologize to Wellington for saying CP3 was <laughs> like washed up when Houston Rockets gave, gave him all that money. And we see what he did uh, with a, a, a young Oklahoma City Thunder team, got into the mm-hmm. playoffs, and really just – registered to me like, okay, CP3 is a Hall of Famer, a walking Hall of Famer still playing. So they were always missing something and getting CP3, getting these other supporting cast members to come together and actually buy in and just having a real deal, 100% facilitator, guy who can get people open, guy who can slow the game down with his mid, uh, mid-range jumper, excuse me. So they was always missing something. Now that guy is out. But I still think they have enough momentum going into um, – they continue to go into playoffs to actually, okay, we, we get, somebody has to step up. So I think they finally they – they did what 76 was trying to do, if you if you get my drift. I'm, I'm not going to punish You may not blow a 26-point lead, right? Just, well, just not, well not that. Just finish <laughs> the process. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Philly, we're coming for you. A couple more topics. We're about to come. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely blew twenty six points. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but also it, dealing with the Utah and, and Clippers series, you know, it's now three two. L A. um up up one game, and yep. this was just a major road win in a game five. Where I mean, honestly, like even with Kawhi, they weren't able to beat Utah the first few games, and that's an extremely tough place to play when um when when Utah's playing with so much momentum, knocking down threes. Um, Paul George became the first player in the franchise history to post at least 35 points, 15 rebounds, and five assists. Overall, he had 37 points. Um, and even despite the, the Jazz franchise record, 10 three-pointers and shooting 13 of 18 from the field overall in the first quarter, the Clippers were were consistently able to weather the storm. And sometimes, you know, as we've seen in the past, they haven't been able to do that and kind of just like, you know, you know, um, fall back and not really be able to to get to give a, uh, an appropriate answer. But kind of like what were your thoughts on the current developments of this series and in terms of what Utah was Utah wasn't able to finish off, how concerning is it for you for them heading into game six? And do you think Paul George can can keep this level of play up um without Kawhi? Oh, um last night I did see the injury kind of play um uh, oh wow. I forgot his name. Donovan Mitchell. Wow. Donovan I've been Scott. out of the game way too long, <laughs> Wellington. I just hit a, a stump there talking about uh, Patrick Beverly. <laughs> I just hit a stump there. I've been out of the game way too long. But Donovan Mitchell, I, I, I saw first saying how that injury was played to him last night. Even when he yeah. shot the, the, the big three and it went in, he, how he landed, he, he you know, hobbled a little bit, then he started back. So, so if you – you look at their 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 uh their front court, 
well, not even the front court, the back court. Rudy Gobert is a one-trick pony, and I'm going to steal somebody's line about that, and I'm, glad, I'm surprised we're not talking about that fight that's coming up in July 24th. I think July 24th. But Rudy Gobert is a one-trick pony, <laughs> and he's not big on the offensive side. I don't know if you, you've seen that. He's, the guy is not a good one-two punch. He's a good defensive. Very one-dimensional. Yes, one one trick pony. The guy's like Deontay Wilder. He's just a knockout. Well, he's a block artist, and he's he's pretty good on. His oh, that feet. fight is coming. <laughs> Wait, hold up. July twenty fourth. That fight is coming up. That's news yeah. to me. Dang. They, they oh, have press conferences and everything. That's what wow. I got the one trick pony from. Um, what's come <sighs> said he uh, he's gonna he's gonna knock him out. He, he knock him out. Um, in probably thirty fourth round, he's trying to get up to three hundred pounds. I, we're talking about the wrong thing. We're trying- anyways, anyways, my bad, my bad, my <laughs> no, bad. No, no, you're fine. I thought you knew. Like that's coming up in July because they had a press conference. Oh. They had a, a press conference, and the entire time, like Deontay Wilder had his glasses on, headphones on. He wasn't really trying to wasn't into the press conference, and mm. what another guy was just talking mad junk. The Gypsy King was talking mad junk. But anywho. Hey. <laughs> I think when it comes down the line for Utah, if Donovan Mitchell is not completely 100%, it's going to – and Mike Conley is out, right? Rudy yep. Gobert is a one That's That's very one. big. That's very big. That's another very thing that's really impacted big. them. Because Mike Conley is CP3 to the Utah Jazz, if you will. And then Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell is the sharpshooter, the guy who will get you your points. So if that guy right. has to be the facilitator as well, then and he's injured on top of that, his role kind of changes. His, his workload changes as well. And if you don't have a guy who can do a one-two punch and kind of crease the load a little bit, I kind of makes things difficult as well. But mm, I, I don't know. I think that's why they, they lost. Obviously, uh, Paul George went off. Patrick Beverly had a great uh, great defensive game. But if Donovan Mitchell, if they can't figure out what to do on offense and Donovan, Donovan Mitchell is not completely healthy, it's going to down the road game six. I don't know. if And, and if playoff B come out like he did this game, it might be mm, – they might be going home. And the Clippers have played really well at home. I mean, really like well. they have been they have been tough to beat at home. And I, I think that's another thing. Like it almost felt as though in games three and games four, they really figured out something against Utah because this Clippers team in every series so far, they've been down 2-0 and then have been able to, to like right the ship and, and like be able to re- respond like appropriately. I think th- this game six is it's probably one of the biggest games in like recent Clippers history. I mean, for them to finally get to Western Conference Finals, like, do you think that amount of pressure is something that is going to be, like, one of the biggest elements? Because it's one of those things where everybody is, the the the, the momentum is in their favor and yeah. they're at home. We've seen moments where the Clippers have, you know, not have, have been able to deliver at home and, and have disappointing losses. Do you think that pressure is going to be something that is, like, an, another really big element for how the Clippers play tomorrow night? Well, I think it shouldn't be because you have a lot of veteran guys on that basketball team. You have Patrick Beverly, who's been here before. You have uh, yeah. Playoff P, who's been, who's been there before. You got all the, this is other veteran guys on the court. So this should be a moment of like, oh, like a, like a, a oh moment because the one who were down in the last series, we have our own fate. We're going at home. We have a chance to end the series. That everything is leading to this moment. We should have an all moment. Like, okay, this is what we've been practicing for. This is what we've been setting things up for. This is why yeah. they did low management. <laughs> they didn't do low management this year. But. <laughs> there you go. 
This is why we go out and get a Paul George. This is why we pay Patrick Beverly. This is why we do these certain things because it's quite, if our big guy Kawhi is out, then the next guy up. So this is why we do these certain things. They should be, they're in the right moment. They just have to seize the moment. So they're in the, they're in the right spot. I don't think they should be nervous. I think they should just go out and, and try to seize the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of Philly, you know, really having just a, a major, um, a major blown lead at home with so much momentum and then Atlanta um, just having a, a, an exceptional performance from Trey Young and just being able to respond, you know, with Gallinari and Lou Williams, big shot after big shot, kind of like what were your overall thoughts? And do you feel as though this, this result said more about what Philly couldn't do or more of what Atlanta was able to do in a, in a big comeback? I think it, it goes, when I, when I look at Philly, I think it goes to Philly most, obviously you blow a 26 point lead. And on top of that, I, I feel like, they don't know how to spend their money in Wellington. They don't know how to spend and get the right players to gel together and to do something. You spend all this money on Ben Simmons, he gives you eight points, four rebounds in 38 minutes. Tobias Harris gives you four points, four rebounds. I think he had over 30 minutes. He had three turnovers, and he was yeah. messing up possessions. There was one possession where Joel B had the isolation. He got his guy. Tobias Harris brought his guy into the zone and then – Joel and B had to throw up a, a crazy shot before the, the shot clock went off. So it's, it's a lot of things. They look sloppy after a while. Third quarter, they look sloppy at the end. Fourth quarter, they look really sloppy. And can we put some respect on Lou Williams' name? Got to. The guy, come on, man. The guy, he goes, every team he goes to, he makes them better. Trey Young looked really well, but Lou Williams looked phenomenal. Trey Young did have a, 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 a slow third quarter and then he picked it up at the at the end of the fourth. But Louis Williams, man, I don't think they had him. I don't think they they're talking right now. I don't think Trey Young is going to dap up Quavo after the game. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> culture three, man. Go <laughs> <laughs> um, but and and this is another thing. Like with with Philly, it, it's it. Even late in games, you know, we saw the, the 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 struggle with knocking down free throws with Ben Simmons and Bead, yeah. and Atlanta was able to take advantage of it. Like in, in terms of just the the kind of maybe the consistent issues we're seeing with the big two, how concerning is that going forward? Like, do you feel as though that's one of the biggest things that may be keeping Philly back is just like their their biggest two stars having kind of like fundamental issues and not yeah. really being able to close um in in pivotal moments when a team can spot that there's kind of like flaws in, in their games they need to shop ben simmons they need to when they gave him the contract i was surprised they need to shop they need to shop ben simmons they need to pay seth curry because seth curry had a phenomenal game he's got to stay he has to stay they have to pay him tobias harris get him out of there i was big on tobias when he first got traded from the clippers over to the 76ers but yep. they need to move some pieces pieces around they need to get some more three-point shooters they need a, another guy to go with Joel Embiid, Joel yeah. or you, Joel Embiid. I think they need mm-hmm. to start fishing somebody around. I don't know who wants Ben Simmons. <laughs> that's so sad. I don't know who wants Ben. Who wants Ben Simmons? I think that's why they paid him. They couldn't find anybody to take him. So, it definitely fundamentals. I, I mean, that may have been why the the Philly Brooklyn trade never happened. <laughs> Brooklyn was like, uh, yeah. we don't we don't want him. <laughs> who can't shoot a jump shot. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that noise. I think that's why they was like, well, we can't do anything about him, so we're going to have to keep him. It's, I don't know, Ben Simmons, man. I don't, I don't know if he's ever going to figure it out. 
does does Atlanta close it out in game six or does it go to seven? They do. Did you see their faces? They, they're gonna close it. it they're, it's the, like there's so much dejection dejection on Philly, and then Atlanta like they have so much. They have all the momentum on their side going back home. Yes, and 76ers really their ego got sliced up at that in the fourth. That's quarter. a demoralizing type of loss. Like just. It, and they're, they're gonna, still going to be thinking about that, for sure. They're still going to be thinking about it going into Atlanta. Man, we blew a 26-point lead. Now we're going into their home turf where they really don't lose. It, that's and it. that's another okay. – I mean, remember like in Miami and, and in San Antonio when when San Antonio blew, you know, blew the chance to close it out when Ray Allen, Ray Allen hit that shot and almost felt, felt as though game seven was like a carryover. Like they were like – San Antonio felt as though we, we had that game. We had the championship. And even though it was a tight game, they just still weren't able to carry over what they did in, in the last parts of game six. That's a perfect example. And that's exactly what's going to happen with, uh, yeah. with the, well, the Falcons, with the Hawks going into going back home, man. Quavo's going to be there. Chris Tucker's mm-hmm. going to be there. Everybody's going to be mm-hmm. there for the game. Man. So it's going to be a packed house. Gonna be, it's definitely going to be a packed house. Trey going to go <laughs> off. Lou Williams is going to go off. I think Click Give me my little pepper hot wings after <laughs> 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 um but now transitioning to to um Brooklyn and Milwaukee and that you know going into a game six tonight in, in Milwaukee coming off of just a legendary performance from KD when when Brooklyn was was down um heavily um and they were down from 17 points um Durant had um 49 points 17 rebounds and 10 assists in 48 minutes um had 20 points in the fourth quarter um, Harden was back, you know, from from his hamstring tightness and was just one of ten, uh, missed all eight three point attempts, but but did play a, a lot of minutes, um, forty six. But what are your thoughts on just how exceptional KD was? Because there is the narrative that many times he's had other support and other help when he's been able to win championships, and this game was the type of game where he didn't have Kyrie. Harden was not playing the way that we're used to seeing him play, and he really had to do almost everything um, for this team to get a win, and then. Milwaukee side, they have another kind of just a gut wrenching loss where we've seen year after year they have these these key moments and key opportunities to be able to deliver it and get farther, but they weren't able to close the deal. So, kind of like, what were your overall thoughts on um, just a, a very unpredictable um, game five result? Woo! Well, let's start at the beginning. James Harden, man. If James Harden didn't play, Kevin Durant would never went off like that. And no. I'll explain why, because without James Harden, Kevin Durant will had to be, will forced to be a facilitator, something he hasn't done since college and early super science. So him playing, not being able to get into that role of being facilitator, open him back up to be who he is, a money-making snipe shooter from a three-point line, anywhere on the court, he was able to be himself, um, and then you look at Jeff Green. Jeff Green really ignited and kept everything going for the Brooklyn Nets. He was, what, six for six before he missed. And mm-hmm. the, the guy was playing lights out on, on the uh, defense. He was taking charges. He was making for three-point line. I mean, KD had a phenomenal game, don't get me wrong. But I, I highlight those two more. Yes, James Harden was <laughs> an innocent bystander. <laughs> <laughs> it was collateral damage. That's a perfect way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it was collateral damage, but he was necessary. He did. He had some turnovers, but I think he he did get people in the position at their spots to be able to shoot, and uh, especially Jeff Green. So you look at those two options. You look at those two you know variables in the equation of KD going off. We always see KD go off. 
But I think it's what those little variables in the equation that matters most to me, which is Jeff Green and James Harden. And mm, I don't know. Uh, Giannis got to check him. That was another one to. that was kind of crazy. I know the first couple games he was checking him, but you need to – all the money you get him, you check him. Like around the third or fourth possession when you see KD doing that, Giannis has to be like, I'm, I have him the entire night. Like he, he, like he, he wasn't assertive enough and just kind of just let him still do what he wanted to do. And there was like, there was almost no sense of urgency. Nope. Um, I think that, that was the thing that really like stunned me the most. I mean, n- maybe not stunned me, but it felt as though like, and, and with them knowing what was at stake and that Brooklyn team not being fully healthy, that was a prime opportunity for Giannis to just be like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to really try to play high level defense on KD, even when he's doing what he was doing. Right. And why is P.J. Tucker – I understand. Why is P.J. Tucker checking him? Why is your best second player checking him? Why is Nayana checking him? I I don't understand. Now you want to guard him. Now you want to put out a statement saying you want to guard him. I just – you're getting $225 million. You're checking him. (laughs) Definitely. And then Giannis has to be more confident. He has to be more confident. Like you have to have – you don't have a bag. You literally, you literally have your hands. Like you have your moves <laughs> in your hands. You don't have a bag, bro. Like he does not have a go. He has a go-to move, but he doesn't have an arsenal. It's not as like a consistent – it's not a consistent go-to move that's like considered like world-class like a, a KD or a Kawhi has. Like he, he's not at that level yet. No. I don't think he will ever get to that level. He's predictable. Mm-hmm. Very. He's not the best player in the world. He's predictable. That's what he is. <laughs> so uh, I thought he was working with Kobe. I thought he was working with Kobe at one point. I guess he uh, didn't this this off. was really the year. This was really the year after that extension. I felt as though there was going to be more urgency, but it almost feels as though we're seeing for the third year in a row possibly the same type of result happen for Milwaukee, and then also have questions about Mike Budenholzer and who's going to lead this team long term. And, and on top of this. On top of what you just said, that make yeah, that's a perfect uh, example. And then they still have an opportunity to win, and Giannis drops the perfect pass from Chris Middleton. Come on, two hundred twenty mil. You need to pay two hundred twenty mil. Okay, all right. And and that and I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say that's why I wanted to see Chris Paul Milwaukee. It's <laughs> moments like this. <laughs> if Chris Paul was on Milwaukee, man, <laughs> I'm telling you, it would have been a different outcome. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and 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 also, there's some there, there's been some recent um, NBA news with just coaching changes. Um, Stan Van Gundy um, was fired after one season with the Pelicans. Rick Carlisle he also um, decided to leave um, Dallas after 13 seasons. Yeah. Um, and Scott Scott Brooks um, leaving, uh, getting fired from the Wizards. Like in terms of all these coaching changes, and also um, which one possibly could have the biggest impact. Um, for 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 the team, which one would you possibly say might be on the top of that list? Every last one of them. Yeah, and, and the one that surprised me the most was the Mavericks. Yeah, that I mean, he's been the coach for thirteen years. I know you want something, mm-hmm. but he still had like two years on his contract, and that kind of surprised me the most. You have the upper hand. Figure out what you're going to do with Chris Porzingis. I mean, the formulas was working outside of that. Luca was playing crazy basketball. Why give up that? opportunity to figure that out i don't know but i mean every last one of them makes uh are like vital because 
most of those teams had opportunities to be successful and try to make it to the NBA Finals, especially the Wizards. I think this is the first yeah. time they made the playoffs in a while. Um, well, consistently in a while. And then the Mavericks, I mean, you let a team come back. I mean, <laughs> from a damn series, like everybody thought, oh, Luka, you know, it's just crazy. I think every I, team. I really thought, yeah, a lot of people really thought as though Dallas was going to win that series. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. They were <laughs> definitely up a lot. <laughs> but, I mean, that just goes with, I mean, Mr. Lou might be might be the best coach, man. No, he didn't win coach of the year. He didn't win coach um, of the year. I thought he should. Though. No, he didn't win coach of the year. That would surprise me. I thought he could. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom Thibodeau. Tom That's Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau won. I, mean, I really still don't like that guy for some reason. You still but don't? I don't. I don't think I don't like him as a coach. He just looks weird to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Has a weird look, has a weird persona. Yes, yes. It's your persona, Tom. You got me, Wellington. You got me, Wellington. <laughs> um, but but uh, now listening to our to our music reviews. Um, to start off with with um Migos uh, recent album Culture Three and thoughts on if this was an improvement for their from their last project. Um, this album contains a lot of what the group does well. As you know, Quavo is kind of the facilitator who gives a lot of the records motion and movement and yeah. offset who to me may have been the most impressive of the group who showcased kind of the ability to, to flip flows and turn phrases um, while take off, you know, he had a lot of presence with his verses and kind of um, flew under the radar in some aspects. Um, and, you know, they definitely played to their strengths more in this project and um, have a song for every type of moment. But what were your initial thoughts of this album? And do you think this album showed again, you know, maybe why they don't work as well as singular artists, but better kind of as a, as a collective voice? This was a typical Mingo's album. Yeah. What's straining it? I, I saw an interview, I forgot what the interview who the interview was with, and he asked, What does that mean? And they tried to explain what straining it means. <laughs> the, the interview was, was it with Speedy Mormon? I think with the light skin guy? For, yeah, from Complex, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was still <laughs> confused. Like he was still confused. He had the look of like, what? Like, what? <laughs> That doesn't make sense. That like, doesn't give me an answer. <laughs> at all. Like, you know, you got to, before you get something, you got to straighten it. Like, oh. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> like, but I, I, I just I just thought it was a, a normal Mingo's typical album. Um, Tight-ish was a normal one. Birthday was a normal one. Roadrunner was a, a typical Mingo's like you got to be in the mood. For I mean, it. modern day was, was a banger, though. Modern day was a banger. It was a typical Mingos, and then they let Drake really take over. I, I was re- I was checking my phone for how long he was gonna be rapping. I'm like, is he gonna have this entire song? <laughs> As a marketing standpoint, that's perfect because when you see, oh, they got Drake on there, and then I'm listen. This is the first time I was like, okay, Drake, get off the track, dude. Like, where is the hook I, I was that way, too. I was like, all right, come on. This is the Migos album. <laughs> all right, Drake. Okay. And uh, after a while, like, I'm like, okay, is the Migos going to come in and Quavo them share the verse? And then and it's interesting you said um, Offset was the one that kind of stood out. Takeoff stood out to me. Takeoff. Oh, he did. Ha- he was very consistent. Yeah. Takeoff had consistent verses. Takeoff yep. was the one who was kind of like making the song bearable. But they, they don't talk about anything anymore. Like, I mean, it, I think they ran out. The whole time I was listening to them, I was but like, But they, they are who out. they are, though. I mean, do True. you expect, 
like like they like this is who they've been for years. I, I think like Culture One was is is definitely like their best album, but I think with Culture Two, it kind of was one of those things where it was a longer track list and there was a there were a list a list features just like for this one, but it kind of dragged because Culture One was like only thirteen songs, but the second one, I think they were trying to get to back to that to to the sound of Culture One, even though Culture One is still better. But I feel as though this yes. one they were trying to kind of get back to that central sound that that, that they were known for. And they definitely did it. I think they used similar beats and just tweaked it a little bit on certain songs. Because I was yeah. like, oh, that sounds like uh, Chab Out the Band, though. Like, it was like certain mm-hmm. like songs like that. But that's why I was like, it was a typical formula for the Migos. It works for them. It's not a bad album, but I thought it was just like, at a certain point, you guys have to evolve? Or is this is what we're going to get? This is going to be the Migos for five, ten years even more down the road because you guys individually as artists don't work. (laughs) (laughs) So people can have standout solo careers and some people, some groups need each other to bounce off of each other. I think Quavo is the voice of the Migos. Takeoff is like, I get not even the lyricist, the the guy who's has real bars and then offset is just offset. Mama, he's just awesome. and, you know, he's just upset. Like Quavo's the voice. Yeah, if you, if you listen to it, Quavo has most of the hooks. Quavo's voice is, yes. yeah, he has most of the hooks. And then, yeah, but it's it was it was a it was a typical Migos. Album. Quavo gets around more in terms of features. Like Quavo's the more visible like face out of out of the entire group. It's the voice. Yeah, it's the voice. That's what it is. Most of the time, he does not rap about anything. He really doesn't have bars. Um, he has a typical, uh, his typical flow, I think, is the voice. I mean, people resonate with the voice. Next, if you get a chance, watch their L.A. Leakers freestyle. I don't know if you've seen it, but their L.A. Leakers freestyle, I'm wondering what a freestyle is because they didn't, like, they didn't miss anything. And J. Cole had the same thing. I'm like, with some of these rappers, it, it's, I really wonder if it's a verse that they've already had in the past. Sure. Because they they didn't miss it at all. Like in terms of just a freestyle and and like when artists are are coming out like promoting an album, like can you tell at times like okay like this is an actual freestyle or this is a verse they've just had and they're just going off it and feeding off of each other's rhythm. You can tell when it's a when it's a freestyle whether it's a real real off the top freestyle. I think that's what the it is. Well, you can tell. So yeah. if it makes sense, then they wrote it. That's a previous something they memorized. They probably told them before the interview, hey, we're going to we want you to rap. These are might be the beats that we may use. We don't know yet. They, they probably get a heads up. But you can tell, like, Juice World off the top. Um, it's a guy named uh, Freak. It's certain guys that rip off the top. It yeah, makes sense, sure. but you can tell it's a it's an off-the-top freestyle. J. Cole wrote that for oh, sure. Yeah, it's slow. <laughs> uh, he was getting aggressive. Because when you freestyle, you really when you really freestyle at the top, you really don't get aggressive unless you're in a pocket. But most of the time, you really try to think about like you just in a day trying to think about the next rhyme scheme and stuff like that. You're really not that aggressive. But when you understand the lyrics and you wrote them and you feel them, that's when exactly you're great. Yeah. So yeah, J Cole definitely wrote that. One hundred percent. Transitioning to to Polo G's Hall of Fame review and just also should he be considered a rising star? Um, this latest release from the Chicago rap star, you know, kind of has him at the peak of his commercial powers. And in here, he draws from a, a tragic familiar, familiar, 
familiarity with trauma. In songs like Rap Star, No Return with the kid uh, Leroy and Lil Durk, he turns that agony into fuel. Um, he also stays true to the, the melodic flow that elevated his game and deals in uh, poetic paradoxes for much of the runtime. Um, but do you think this album highlighted what why Polo G should be considered a rising star? Or to you, is there more progress and development that needs to come from him? I think he has a blueprint when it comes to, I, I thought a little Yachty said it the best. He said, it's easier to make it when you talk about when you do hood rap or just like gang, not gangster rap, but you know, trap music. And you have a story because that's what most people want to relate to. So he has the blueprint. His music is really good, though. I'm not going to yeah. lie to you. He does have, he, I think he, he he's in a pocket, like you said, in the commercial pocket. And I, I don't think he would have to, to grow or do anything differently. I think he has the blueprint. So why change that blueprint? I think when it comes to most rappers or most genres of music, you really don't have to grow or change because like like the Migos, they, they're in a pocket of music or genre of music where you don't have to change. You give what the people are looking for. Good beats, um, stories, talking about different, you know what I mean? Just they stay in that pocket. I think Polo G is another guy who doesn't have to grow because he's in a set genre of music that doesn't require you to grow your music, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and were, were there any particular tracks that, that you went back and and, and and liked a lot? I mean, Rap Star is kind of the, the headlining one. Yeah. Um, the yeah. feature he had with, with Lil Wayne, I think that was that was a, another good track. Like, were there any like particular ones that that you kind of um, liked the most? No Return mm-hmm. was a good one. Um, it was it was very catchy, and I, I, I liked it. Um, Black Hearted was a was another good one for me. Ooh. The, one, the one he did with Pop Smoke was a banger. Which one was that? Um, um, Clueless. Clueless. I'm, mm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. It was also with Fivio uh, Foreign as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. I don't think it stood out to me. I already, listened, I already ran through it one time. Yeah. Um, but I do like... Um, was it, it, was fame, it was Fame and something. Fame and something with Roddy Rich. Oh, Fame and Riches, yes. Fame, okay, oh, Fame nice. and Riches. I like that with Roddy Rich. I thought that was a, a nice track. But uh, I mean, Roddy's Star, always a dope feature. Roddy is, is always going to kill it. He's falling off. I think he's getting recycled to me. He cut you didn't like off. his latest single? Mm, Late at really. night? Not okay. really. Not really. I think he had, you know, sir, sir artists had the top, the baby, mm-hmm. getting recycled now. Um, Roddy, 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 what do you want to call him? He's getting mm-hmm. recycled. Yeah. Um, you you make room for guys like Dirk. Dirk what has not been that big. Now he's bigger this year and last year. Look, baby is going up there. He's he's bigger and, and better this year. So I think once you have your time at the top, like the tippy top, because everybody was talking about Roddy Rich, and then you fade off, and then you get recycled <laughs> back into the Washcom, because I'm telling you, you have to be relevant. Got in you. music, a it's too much time. music. Yes, so bro. tough to stay relevant for a long time. So that that's an testament to these guys. Like I always say, it the Drake, Kendrick, J Cole. Mm-hmm. It's extremely hard to be this relevant for that long and be at the top. But yeah. some of these guys are being recycled. Yeah, and, and before we get to our to our um to to our review, there is there's new music coming out tonight. Isaiah Rashad, he's dropping um a new single, Headshots. Her is coming out with, yeah. Her is coming out with her with her debut album, um, "Back of mm-hmm. My Mind." Um, Snow Allegra 
is coming out with a new album July 9th. Timber, Tim, Timber Highs and the Violet Skies. I, I think that's going to be mm-hmm. a, a really a really good album. Um, out of some out of some of the new music that that that's that's coming out in the next uh, few weeks. I mean, also Tyler the Creator said he's coming out with a new album uh, next week. Mm-hmm. What kind of stands out to you, and, and what are you kind of looking forward uh, into particular? Snow for sure. That's I know her. I like her music, but Snow's last album, man, it was such a vibe. It's like her. That's the number I, one album I'm looking forward to this summer instantly. Yes, for sure. And I'm looking for Isaiah Rashad to redeem himself with that folly he did with Duke Deuce. Like, <laughs> bro, I hope this is going back. Can, to can the he roots. can he redeem himself tonight with headshots? Can he I do it? <laughs> so. With the name, it sounds really dope. I think he's going to be back to his lyrical self. But yeah. that last song was not. I think that's why he's dropping another one because he was a ghost. And when he drops, he only drops one, and he leaves. And now he probably figured out, like, oh, nobody really liked that song. Nobody rock with that. <laughs> so hopefully he redeems himself. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our review of The Fugitive. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our review of The Fugitive. And to start with the overview, The Fugitive is a 1993 action thriller film based on the 1960s television series of the same name created by Roy uh, Huggins. The film was directed by Andrew Davis, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, with supporting roles by Celia Ward, Joel um, uh, Pantaleone, uh, Andreas uh, Katsoulis, and Jerome Crabb. The screenplay was written by David Toy and Jeb Stewart from a story by Toy. Um, the Fugitive is about Dr. Richard Kimmel, who escapes from custody and sets out to find his wife's actual killer, captures capture him and clear his name while being hunted by the police and a team of U.S. Marshals. Uh, it had a budget of $44 million and brought in $368.9 million in the box office, has a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And um, just overall, like, what are your initial thoughts of this film that is considered by many to be just one of the greatest action films um, of the 1990s with, with, with two Hall of Fame actors. I think when you when you look at Harrison Ford and his, like his whole resume, his whole line of movies, this is at the top of him because, one, he played the crap out of this role, first off, and then Tommy Lee Jones, man, he's just, he just has, he's in that pocket. I think that's the, the the slogan of the day or the phrase of the day. He's in that pocket. <laughs> that's the phrase. <laughs> yeah, I haven't did that in a while, but he's in the pocket. Both of these guys in the pocket. But I love the storyline. First of all, I love how you know it's his doctor is able to try to figure out what really happened um, and what happens to his wife and get down to the bottom of things. And when he figures out, he's like triple OG. Like, who thought this doctor was this, this bad, but, you know what I mean, who can escape? So it was just like mm-hmm. it gave you a different perspective on um, really, you know, people who really want to get down to, to the bottom of things. Um, but, yeah, no, Tom Lee Jones definitely played the crap out of his role. I think without him, I think they had, they had a good chemistry on, on film. It wouldn't be the same movie without Tommy Lee Jones. No. It, I think it's, it's similar to Robert De, uh, Robert De Niro and – Al Pacino. Yes, it felt it felt it had some heat vibes to it. Like like you, sure. you got two guys going up, yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is a great film. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a lot of action, a lot of mystery, a lot of mm-hmm. one one arm guys in it, and uh, <laughs> I think it was a, a, a good formula of a movie, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I, I would definitely give it four. It's 
um, a precision timepiece, and it's dynamite suspense is loaded with just so many thrills. And overall, you know, as we mentioned, it's one of those masterpieces that just contains edge of the seat entertainment. Um, to you, from one to four stars, what would you give it, and, and some kind of some of your reasons in particular? Definitely four stars. Um, one, it was I like how it started off. How they, I don't know, it's just how they thought he was kind of crazy. Did you really fight with a guy? Like, you know, what I mean, did you really have a gun? It's just like all the stuff that pointed towards him actually killing his wife, but he knew that. Look, I fought with a guy. I took yeah. his arm off. It's just like you know, you try to convince. The, the system, oh God, the system. And then you get you get in jail, you get an opportunity to get broke out and stuff like that. So it's just like, it just kept you on the, on your, you know, on your toes and it kept you on the seat. It was a lot. It was a suspenseful. It, it had it had enough mystery, enough to be like, okay, oh, you know what I mean? It wasn't like predictable in, right. in a sense. And then you, you have Tommy Lee Jones just, he just brings that element, gives that different element. He has a, he was kind of young in his movie, but he looked old and just, I don't know. <laughs> but I just love the storyline in itself. Like the storyline is what really got me. And then, and you know, everybody bringing it to life. And there were even reports of the cast before, like when they when they got the script, saying like they thought it was it was going to be predictable. They they didn't think it was going to be a great film. They thought it was going to be just a run of the mill film. Like in, in terms of like even when a cast maybe doesn't have the expectation for this to be the movie that it turned out to be. Like, what do you think it says about a, a film like that do you think sometimes with a lot of great films even though we think we we, we view them as classics even the cast before the movie starts getting to mm-hmm. production sometimes don't even buy it and you know maybe not resonated with with it from the jump you know and, and that's crazy you mentioned that because it's all about the viewer and i think yeah. I, I hate to take it to, to marvel i think um i think it was bring me thanos uh, Chris Hemsworth is like I didn't think that was going to be a line that resonated with people. I thought it was mediocre line. It's just like bring me Thanos, and that freaking line in itself really kind of like brought the move. exactly. So we never know what the viewer you know, or the the screenwriters like Jeb. I think his name is Jeb Stuber. He was one of the screenplay uh, writers for this film. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that your own actors don't believe in it until they win these awards. Like best supporting actor, yeah. <laughs> so it's, and that's it's, that's when they believe it. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's really those subtle. You don't want a, a screenplay to just like not wow you in a sense because then you have high expectations. When those expectations don't get beat by the viewership, then it's kind of like because mm, we have a we. It's a lot of movies that flop that was supposed to be good. So when you have a movie mm. like this that was kind of like, mm, this kind of predictable and it's in, in the beginning or whatever, what they thought was, and then it got on the screenplay and watched it, like, okay, we probably stumbled upon something that was a part of a great movie, which they were. And Fugitive is, is really a, like a great film. This is Tommy Lee Jones' top five movie. This is Harrison Ford's top movie besides Star Wars and all this. Indiana Jones Indiana and all this stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, now interesting to a favorite character. Um, I, I, I went with Deb- Deputy Gerard, played by Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. He just has so many scene skilling moments, and being the determined lawman who was, you know, only interested in executing his job, just kept him in a very um, center position throughout the film. 
Um, but to you, looking back at this one, who was kind of like your overall uh, favorite character? Well, obviously, Dr. Richard Kimball, um, just mm -hmm. how he orchestrated everything. How he was he was strategic of finding different things. He, under, he still understood the way of the hospital, who to talk to, how to do certain things, how I can go under the radar. So, and, and, and for him to be able to figure out certain things and clear his name and realize the bigger picture, I mean, your wife getting killed is, is a big picture, but what they were doing oh, with the pharmaceutical stuff. So it's just like, oh, you just took the top off. Then you figure out who killed your wife. Then on top of this, so you just open up a whole can of worms Pandora box, but you did it in such a way. Like, I mean, ain't no normal person can do that. It has to be a no. doctor, right? Yeah. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> um, but but now listening to most memorable scenes, um, I had the interrogation scene. Uh, Richard Kimball escaping from the bus. Yeah. Um, my, my chest hurts. The hospital scene, uh, the helicopter chase, uh, the stairway chase. The, the stairway chase to me was like my most memorable scene. I thought that one yeah. was a really fascinating mm -hmm. one. Uh, the one armed man tracks, then it attacks yeah. Richard Kimball on the L train. And then finally, the interrupted speech where Richard uh, confronts Dr. Charles Nichols mm -hmm. for the last time. Uh, to you, out of the most memorable scenes, and even maybe some ones I didn't mention, uh, kind of like what was maybe one or a few of your top ones? The one they were in the sewer thing, like or whatever, and he was like, he, oh, uh, I think his hands is up. Then he jumped. I thought that was a good yeah. one. I'm not gonna say what he said because I'm gonna use that as like uh, the line or one of the lines, one of the good lines of the movie. I'm gonna say that, quotes. but yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, that that was a good scene. Um, the hmm. yeah, th those are. Th I think those are the all uh, you got all the good ones in that one. I think that was a pivotal part because then you realize um, how what you said about uh, Deputy Gerard's whole perspective. I'm, I don't care what you got going on, bro. This is my job. I'm going yeah, to he just focused. He, he just was focused on doing his job. Exactly, and you could tell, like <laughs> Doctor Kim, like I don't like, care. He's like, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> that, that's exactly one of the points of the He was like, I, don't, I didn't kill my wife. He's like, I don't care, bro. He's like, you're under arrest. Like, I don't get. I don't care what. That's you the best quote. Wife. That is the best quote. I don't care. I don't care who killed your wife. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, I had, I didn't kill anybody, leave me alone from Dr. Richard Kimball. Yeah. Um, it's not over yet. Another one from Dr. Kimball. Um, he did it for the money from Detective Kelly. Um, you never give up Richard, do you? You never give up from Dr. Ch Charles Nichols. Uh, mm -hmm. Give it up, Richard. It's time to stop running. Then, you know, obviously that the I don't care line from Deputy right. Gerard, I think was, was the top one. Um, but so you kind of like, what were some of your uh, memorable quotes from this one? Those were good. And then just the, the last line saying, I thought you didn't care. I don't. And he started laughing. He was like, don't tell anybody, okay? That was a good one. That kind of really he's got, he's got such a dry sense of humor. <laughs> exactly. And you can tell, I mean, he's not all like bad guy. When he, once he believes somebody, he'll help them. I mean, you know, it just kind of summed up his character as well. And then they actually had some type of chemistry or some type of a, um, being on the same page of who killed his wife and stuff like that. So they kind of, that was like the resounding moment of the film. Like, okay, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. But I do care. I'm sorry I didn't believe you, but you're a fugitive, dude. Like, like everybody's what do you want me to do? Innocent. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's innocent. Nobody did the crime. Um, and, and, and in terms of, you know, we're talking about Harrison Ford, like this being a top five fil film from him, also Tommy Lee Jones. Like, mm -hmm. he's had visibly just groundbreaking roles in commercial success with, like, the Indiana Jones franchise and Star Wars. This is, is one of his top ones. In, in, in terms of the distinction of best film and 
the the one with the most commercial success. Like, do you feel as though there's a distinction between a film like this or I mean, I mean, a role like this for him and the success of it, and also a film like you know Indiana Jones and Star Wars? Like, yeah. do you think in terms of just comparing like these roles, like there was more commercial su- success for for those, but this one may be his like actual top one. I think this is because it's a disconnect. I think. I don't. I want to say that playing sci-fi roles or roles like Indiana Jones are easier, but I think they're more appealing. So you look at this storyline versus Star Wars. Now I'm talking about the ten people going to pick Star Wars because of just like the sci-fi, just the people blowing stuff up. Indiana Jones is in caves and stuff. It's more exciting, but Fugitive is it's boring at first. It's, It's really dull in the beginning, setting it up, and then it gets into the good stuff. But overall, I think this was a better film because I think it was harder to convey this this storyline. Besides, you know, Indiana Jones guy going into a tomb looking for artifacts, or Star Wars and he's kissing his sister. Like, I can't tell. <laughs> it's true. He was doing. It. <laughs> you can't deny. It. <laughs> I mean, for some people, that's more interesting. <laughs> Yes, the one where he's getting the script, that's the one I want to watch. Put away the future. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Obviously. See, this is, what, this is what we were missing. This is what, this is what we missed with Savon Slaker. <laughs> These random inside jokes. <laughs> Obviously, something that's going to be better than this one, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Obviously, it's going to be more appealing than, you know, yeah. Fugitive. Fighting a war no sure. man, I mean, but but I think want to see that <laughs> overall, <laughs> overall fugitive. I think it's a yeah. it's a better a better film for to bring out a character. You know I mean? Definitely, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and now transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, like even though the movie relies on um plausibility as it does on velocity, it really manages to remain grounded in and just an intriguing reality. And without a lot of dialogue from Harrison Ford in some parts, you know, he just masters the elements of silent film acting as only he can. Um, but to you, kind of like, what was the particular element of this storyline that, that you kind of liked the most? Just Dr. Kimball and how how witty yeah. he was, how, um, like, quick on his feet. And I, I want to pick another scene now when he was talking to the state trooper. He was like, hey, Doc, we're looking for this fugitive or whatever. He was like, what does he look like? That's what that's he, that's what doctors ask. That's a normal conversation. Yeah. And then he was it's a like, "Typical doctor question." Exactly. He was like six one, uh, one eighty, brown hair, brown, blah blah blah. He was like, "Have you seen anyone like that?" Right. He was like, "Every time I look in the mirror, pal, except for the beard, of course." That's so weak. It's subtle. That is super subtle. But you have to be on your toes, and you have to be very strategic because you're a fugitive. But you just know how to. Going, you know, going in and out and, and figure things out, and that that was the basis of this film. How can one guy escape, go to a hospital, go to the house, figure all these things? He's a detective in a fugitive at the same time. How is that not interesting? And you have to be that really duality. To- that duality is crazy. Come on, man. Because after a while, I'm not gonna worry about who killed my wife. I'm just worried about not going back to jail. Like <laughs> at some point. Baby, I loved you. He was the love of my life, but you're not here. I'm trying to go back to jail. I'm trying, I'm trying to have a life. <laughs> yes, I'm going to Mexico. Like I'm starting my life over. I build doctor in Mexico. But you know, that's that was the basis of the storyline. But you can't do that with a dumb person. I mean, not all doctors are smart, obviously, but you can't do that. You can't make that storyline work 
without him develop without them developing the character each more and we seeing how good of a doctor he was how how witty he was how quick on his feet he was how he was ahead of the deputies two steps ahead of the deputies before they even figured anything out and he figured things out before they figured things out so that that was the basis of the, the storyline that's really dope and you take a phenomenal actor like harrison ford to be able to bring that out perfect guy I, to do it yeah that's what i loved about it um, interesting to our last topic, Tingers from now, do you still think, you know, it will be watchable and intriguing? Um, it, it absolutely will. You know, this mm -hmm. is just an overall thriller ride and su su successful epitome of how to do this type of thriller right with, with a smart script and a good use of um, location mm -hmm. with just top tier performances from Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. Like we say this all the time with some of the films that we do, but having elite actors is important. Like yes. for films like this, like it really is essential to, to have that and they pulled this off in just an exceptional way. Um, to you, uh, another decade from now, for even new viewers who may have not seen this movie uh, um, recently, what do you think will make this just a watchable and intriguing film? How simplistic this storyline and screenplay was. And yeah. it, who's ever aspiring to be a director or writer, it doesn't take, it, this film shows it doesn't take the most flamboyant and extravagant uh, screenplay, like uh, script to become a great film because if you have the best uh, cast director, because whoever casted Tommy Lee, I mean, I mean, those are great choices, but whoever thought about, okay, I want Harrison Ford, because before this, Harrison Ford wasn't really big into other films. He was doing Indiana Jones. He was doing Star Wars. So to take a chance on him to bring this character to life, the cast director was a uh, 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 freaking brilliant guy in that, in, that, in that retrospect and then you look at Tommy Lee Jones this is up his alley he's played deputies he's played uh <laughs> I can't remember the movie where he was protecting the cheerleaders um it, this is his role this is the type of role he does so the cast directors and the people the, the supporting the cast cast as well this mm -hmm. I mean it really sets up the formula for how to make a good a good film and how to pick the perfect people to bring this film to life. But then you look, I mean, in the storyline, I think people will, it will resonate with people because, yeah. I mean, and it's Harrison Ford too. Who gives a crap? He could play a- Any role. Yeah, he could do a voiceover for a pig and all that too. And, and I mean, before we close it out, we did, the, we did the same thing in Heat with the past, like Pacino, De Niro, they had like just equal amount of, uh, a-list performances mm -hmm. in terms of Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford like is there between the two is there one do you think that their legacy benefited from this film more or do you think it was just like a 50-50 split where kind of both got the equal amount of boost of their legacy for this particular film oh no 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 Harrison Ford definitely ate more off this yeah Harrison Ford is the guy you you get I don't think Tommy Lee Jones had, had has had a movie that he was a star and it went crazy in the box office. No. Never. He's a good he's a good actor, but he's not a lead guy that can kill in the box office. Harrison Ford is. And if you've seen that, is I mean, he was a supporting actor in, you know, Star Wars, but when he had when he got Indiana Jones, he got um uh Air Force One, I really like that yes. film when he was the president. Those films start open this film opened up for that. It's a bunch of other films that he had million films but I think yeah Harrison Ford ate way more off this film than Tommy Lee Jones 
if yeah. people saw his range and versatility of playing outside of sci-fi and adventure roles. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Wednesday Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morse. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>